The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Matthew. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Jesus said, it is as if a man going on a journey summoned his slaves and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. The one who had received the five talents went off at once and traded with them and made five more talents. In the same way, the one who had two talents made two more talents. But the one who had received the one talent went off and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. Then the one who had received the five talents came forward bringing five more talents, saying, Master, you handed over to me five talents. See, I have made five more talents. His master said to him, well done, good and trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And the one with two talents also came forward saying, master, you handed over to me two talents. See, I have made two more talents. His master said to him, well done, good and trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Then the one who had received the one talent also came forward saying, master, I know that you are a harsh man, reaping what you did not sow and gathering where you did not scatter seed. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master replied, you wicked and lazy slave, you knew, did you, that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I did not scatter? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and on my return, I would have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one with 10 talents. For to all those who have more will be given and they will have an abundance, but from those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken away. As for this worthless slave, throw him into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, I am still not used to Zoom church but it is wonderful to see all of your faces or the ones that I can see on the screen. And it's wonderful to be with you all this morning. So thank you all for the invitation. Um, and it's, a, it's an honor to be with you this morning. As we move toward Advent and the church calendar, our passages turn toward the end of the world. It's a familiar turn in the church year as we're invited to reflect on the conditions that brought Jesus into the world and I think, to reflect on the conditions we face now. The early parts of the New Testament were written during a time of great upheaval and change. The Roman Empire controlled most of what we now call the Middle East, North Africa, and Europe. And it is clear that the author of Matthew chafed at Roman rule. The text was likely written to Jewish Christians in exile in Antioch after the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD. With their homeland burned, 
their people in exile and enslaved in their own culture in turmoil and conflict. They were clearly looking for a path to be faithful to some future hope. Early Christianity before Constantine formed itself in relationship to this hope of a coming kingdom of God, a kingdom that they saw themselves building and participating in. Our text this morning is in the middle of a longer discourse of Jesus, telling his followers to faithfully await a coming kingdom that was different than the empires built by Rome, a kingdom built on love, compassion, faithfulness, and care for each other. Honestly, though, the passage we read today contains some disturbing imagery. As Jesus compares God to a slave master and to his followers as faithful slaves. It's clear that the purpose is to encourage followers of Jesus to remain faithful during uncertainty and chaos. But it is also presented in terms that are at odds with how Jesus often characterizes his overall mission. Perhaps this passage about the unfaithful slave illustrates just how hard it is to break away from the norms of the society that we live in, even when they're unjust. Just how difficult it is to imagine a different world built on compassion and care for each other. Perhaps it also reflects the desire of people who were slaves themselves to imagine having allegiance ultimately to God, to Jesus, subversively, even as they were forced to serve earthly masters. But as I think about this passage in relation to our work at Chaplains on the Harbor, I think about three things. First, the empires of the world are always at odds with Jesus's teaching. The readers of the Gospel of Matthew in the first century would have seen incredible trauma. They lived in the words of one Bible scholar, pillar to post between disaster and survival. They had witnessed the brutal destruction of an entire city. They had lost loved ones. Some of their family had been shipped off to Rome as slaves. They were survivors of intense and ongoing trauma. And their suffering was just not in the past. Scholars believe that Matthew's community was based in Antioch. Rodney Stark describes Antioch as a city filled with misery, danger, fear, despair, and hatred. A resident could expect literally to be homeless from time to time. So Matthew writes to a community in exile, a community both in the aftermath of trauma and on the edge of empire, a community marginalized in a city already rife with tension, disaster, oppression, and homelessness. It is no wonder that it is in Matthew's gospel, only a few paragraphs down from our passage today, that tells Jesus's followers to visit the sick and care for the prisoners and feed the hungry. If they were to build a better world, it would have to be a very different one from the one that they lived in then. Throughout history, as empires have been built by greed and lust for power, they have always been the exact opposite of what Jesus taught. They have always sought to impose their will on conquered subjects. They have always sought to exploit communities of any wealth they have. And it's sometimes hard for us to see that in our own world as we go about our everyday life, especially if we are people with a class or race privileges that mean we don't have to see it. In my community and the work that we do, the effects of our nat national and cultural obsession with money and domination are obvious. One in 16 people in Aberdeen, Washington are homeless. Just about half our county's population is on public assistance. 
We have 100% free and reduced lunch in schools because so many children live in conditions of abject poverty. 50% of black children in our district are homeless. And I could go on and on. Exactly one week ago, a young native man just my age, one of the sweetest people I have ever met, died in the cold. He had just lost his father who died in prison a few months ago. And when I got the call early Monday morning that he had been found and then sat with his weeping sister, the last living member of her family, I felt this numb sense of being caught in a meat grinder that just grinds up our people with unrelenting force. Gustavo Gutierrez defines oppression as early and unjust death. And every year, the number of people we bury who die of overdose or cold or lack of medical care or suicide seems to just go up. We too live in the constant presence of trauma, not, a, not unlike Matthew's community. We too feel the constant fear that we are watching the end of the world. People living on the street already face vigilante violence and the scorn of the community, but they live in fear that violence is going to escalate, always. When we organized a vigil for people in our community who had died, for example, of police violence, and, and we organized it as well in support of Black Lives Matter, we were met with heavily armed counter protesters who followed us and threatened to shoot us. Well, thankfully they calmed down enough for us to finish our vigil, People continued to heckle us, shouting that the people who had died in our community deserved it. If all of that makes you feel discouraged, or if you're feeling uncertain and unstable in the wake of our national elections, or if you're feeling afraid for our future, there is a hopeful note in Jesus's words. Jesus predicts not simply the end of the world, but the end of empires. This matches with the historical reality. The empires of this world always fall, every time. Whether we're talking about the Roman empire of Jesus's time, whose power did indeed wane and whose empire did indeed fall, or we're talking about the Holy Roman empire that replaced it, or the Spanish empire, or the British empire, or the American empire now, empires always fall. Now, that might be small comfort to us as we watch some of our national institutions totter, but in the long view, oppression of other people can never last forever. Martin Luther King Jr. is famous for saying that the arc of the universe is long, but it bends toward justice. A pastor I know working on the U.S.-Mexico border who was federally indicted in the 80s for providing shelter to migrants in his church told me in much more colorful language, the bastards never win in the end. During this pandemic, uh, I think many of us have turned to Netflix uh, and I found myself binge watching The Crown. What struck me most beyond all of the you know, drama that is the reason we watch shows like that is how it chronicles the fall of an empire, an empire built on the utter disregard of the humanity of its subjects on a drive for profit on the dehumanization of much of the world, and it simply crumbles. As people around the world demand self-determination, as communities demand the resources and power for their own healing. And that leads me to my final point. The empires of this world can be replaced, that justice is possible 
in the end. Always, communities demand what they need for healing and find it. Always, we find that God has indeed given us enough for everyone, if we only accept that and demand our fair share. In Grace Harbor County, we believe we are beginning this work. Even in the middle of so much death and suffering, we find life and hope and hope for a future. This January, we are projected to hire our next team of apprentices. For the past four years, we have grown from a staff of two to a staff of 15, and most of us have experienced incarceration, addiction, and homelessness. Our office now sits on 23 acres of farmland in the Chehalis River Valley, where we are growing food to help feed our people. I met Tracy, one of our staff members, about five years ago. She was living in a tent after being evicted from a home because the building was slated for demolition. And she helped start the first low barrier shelters in Grace Harbor, all while living in a tent. She showed up for people every single time, dedicated to making life a little better for her friends and her community. Today, she runs our Westport shelter full time through the winter from November through March and manages a team of five people in recovery and newly housed as they seek to help their community survive, seek to reduce the number of people who are found dead on the street. We have a greenhouse growing food over the winter and in the spring we will plant three acres and vegetables, both to sell to the wider community and to supply our feeding programs with fresh food. Our farm team shared with me how they're learning to reconnect with the earth and learning how things grow, how they're finding empowerment and a sense of accomplishment from nurturing growing things. Around us, even in all the bad news and the election anxiety and the signs of a crumbling empire, we are listening to the people around us, listening to the growing things. The Quinault Indian Nation is proposing to put in the first Medicaid accepting treatment center in downtown Aberdeen as indigenous nations as always take the lead in our healing. So even as we bury our beloved dead, we find hope as empires crumble and as new things are built in their place. Luke's version of Jesus's discourse, the same discourse on the end of the world says this, when these things begin to take place, Stand up and lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near.